What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, a look at this week's news. The sunny summer for China's solar industry is coming to an end after regulators abruptly put the brakes on subsidies that have fueled the industry's boom for nearly a decade, while also raising concerns of a glut. The government's policy shifted June 1st with little warning. Three central government agencies jointly announced that China would stop granting subsidies to ordinary new solar projects this year while cutting existing incentive awards. The new policy rattled equity markets. Shares of China's listed solar companies tumbled on domestic and overseas bourses, wiping out $7 billion of market value. Industry players rushed to adjust business strategies in response to the new policy, with some companies planning production halts, investment suspensions, or asset sales. Shockwaves spread abroad as the new policy is expected to cause a sudden contraction in demand from the world's largest solar market, putting downward pressure on panel prices. China plans to impose restrictions on the pay of film and television stars as it grapples with a tax evasion scandal that has rocked the entertainment industry and ensnared top actress Fan Bingbing. Regulators last week vowed to stop stars from evading taxes and to curb what they described as unreasonable rates of pay in the movie industry. They also took a swipe at the celebrity culture that has developed around China's big screen, complaining that many films were, quote, distorting social values by, quote, misleading the youth into blindly chasing after stars. The new rules limit the fees that stars can command for their on-screen work to 40% of total production costs, and to stipulate that no single actor should receive more than 70% of the total casting bill. The changes are being made in response to a scandal that erupted last month when popular former TV presenter Cui Yongyuan posted contracts on the internet allegedly showing that high-profile actress Fan Bingbing had received a hidden payment of 50 million renminbi for starring in a film in addition to her main taxable fee of 10 million renminbi. Huawei is not apologizing for flying Australian lawmakers to visit its Chinese headquarters after a think tank listed it as the biggest corporate sponsor of overseas travel for the country's national politicians over the last eight years. 
The report from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute pointed out that Huawei had invited 12 Australian parliamentarians to visit its base in the southern city of Shenzhen, providing all expense-paid trips, including business class flights, hotels, local travel, and meals. Among the politicians who accepted trips were Julie Bishop, who has served as foreign minister since 2013, and Stephen Chiobo, the trade minister since 2016. The report comes as Huawei, the world's largest manufacturer of telecommunications gear, has found itself embroiled in a series of controversies in Australia related to national security concerns. Shares of Chinese dating app Momo fell sharply last week after a short seller accused the company of concealing important information from investors. The accusation in a report from Spruce Point Capital Management came just weeks after a similar attack on TAL Education and spotlights how U.S.-listed Chinese companies are often targets for short sellers due to their relative inaccessibility compared with U.S.-based firms. Momo had just announced its sale of $650 million U.S. million in convertible bonds amid a broader wave of fundraising by Chinese high-tech companies taking advantage of positive investor sentiment. Momo said that it would use funds generated for the sale to pay for and develop new services for Tantan, another popular dating app that it acquired earlier this year for nearly $800 million U.S. million. The world's fourth largest manufacturer of batteries for new energy vehicles has told its workers to go on leave for six months as intense competition and high material costs have driven its finances into the red. Shenzhen's Optimum Nano Energy announced internally that, quote, all staffers are to go on leave for six months from July 1, unquote, stressing that wages and social security benefits will be paid, quote, only as regulations require, unquote. According to an internal memo leaked online, the company acknowledged reports that it had failed recently to pay wages and social benefits. Caixin verified the authenticity of the memo with company sources. China recently slashed generous subsidies for the new energy vehicle sector, which, over the course of several years, helped turn the country into one of the biggest markets for the industry. But the government support also led to overcapacity, including among battery makers. But the battery sector isn't completely drained. China's biggest electric vehicle car maker said it is going to plow 4 billion US dollars into quadrupling its car battery output through 2020, despite overcapacity in the industry. The Shenzhen-based BYD currently makes most of its batteries for its own cars, but the company has plans to sell them to other automakers to broaden revenue sources. In EV car sales, BYD is competing with US-based Tesla and other peers from Japan and South Korea to cash in on global demand. Tesla plans to expand its so-called gigafactory in Nevada and also plans to build another plant in Shanghai. China will remove restrictions on foreign investments in gasoline stations, clearing the way for global oil giants like BP to operate more wholly-owned stations in the country. The move is part of a broader easing on foreign investment curbs on a wide range of sectors including banking, automotive, heavy industries, and agriculture. Foreign gas station owners are currently restricted to 30 wholly owned locations in China each. Foreign companies must form joint ventures to operate more or sell different kinds and brands of oil and gasoline from multiple vendors. The new list removes these restrictions effective July 28. 
China's gas station sector is dominated by the two state-owned giants PetroChina and Sinopec. They own half of the country's nearly 11,000 gas stations, and their sales dwarf those of private and foreign competitors. Beijing's traffic police are in trouble for allowing the Industrial and Commercial Bank of China to monopolize traffic fine payments in the capital. ICBC is the only bank authorized to collect payment for traffic violations in Beijing. And while the Traffic Management Bureau allows people to pay fines through apps, the only way to make offline payments is through ICBC-issued traffic cards at the bank's branches, thanks to a little-known 1995 agreement between the city and the bank. China's market regulator said this practice is anti-competitive and that Beijing's traffic bureau is suspected of, quote, abusing its power to maintain ICBC's monopoly, as it did not arrive at the arrangement with ICBC through an open public selection process. Beijing's traffic bureau responded to the criticism by saying it will strive to build a system that supports offline fine payments using other banks' cards. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to Tanner Brown, editor and product director for Caixin Global and, of course, co-producer of this podcast. Tanner, uh, we've had you on only a couple of times in the last year. I think uh, there was a story on nasty sandstorms and then one on oppression of LGBT people. And now today it's suicides. Uh, it's safe to say, I assume, that you are officially on the bummer beat and that you're the, the uh, Caixin bearer of depressing news. It is indeed. I, I will try to always come with something that will leave you a little more unsettled than before you talk to me. Uh, okay, then we are duly warned, and this one is definitely not a cheery story. Um, why don't you tell us what happened? The story is about a girl who jumped to her death from the eighth floor of a building in public, um, which unfortunately that part is not particularly unique in China. But this story has some elements that are perhaps a bit more disheartening or a bit more unique. The 19-year-old from Gansu, she killed herself after really almost two years of struggling and demanding that an alleged sexual assault against her, which actually by her teacher at the time, a high school teacher, uh, be recognized. And it had not been by the school or by authorities. Uh, So that's one thing. Uh, Second is how long for about three hours rescue workers failed to to save her they hesitated to blow up the fall pad the rescue pad you know thinking it was going to spook her they hesitated to put um, the fire truck rescue ladder up to her um they had people up there trying to talk to her and you know I think they probably tried their hardest, but a lot of things went wrong from a logistic standpoint um that's two and then the third thing is, It went on so long, so many people came and watched. People started live streaming it. It was broadcast everywhere. And people online were taunting her to jump. Even people there on the ground, reportedly, that can be heard in videos, taunting her to jump. She actually had her phone with her up on the eighth floor on the ledge. She was kind of alternately looking down at the ground and at her phone. And so who knows if she was looking at what the people were saying, what the live stream viewers were saying. But anyways, uh, she was taunted, you know, people telling her to jump. And so that's what she did. She did jump. So, you know, it's a sad story compounded by some rather unsettling things that you don't want to read too deeply into its one incident, but it just raised questions about social problems, sexual assault, the courts and the school system, and taking her claim seriously. And of course, the sort of nastiness of the internet. It's not just in China, but China has some particular problems with its internet culture. Indeed, 
China's internet culture, while it is not unique in being infested with heartless trolls, uh, does seem particularly problematic. Can you, can you give us a bit more background on the actual claims involved in, in the assault? When she was a high schooler, she had a stomachache one day. You know, the administrators told her to go back to her dorm to rest, and so she did. And the story goes, uh, late that night, her head teacher, a male, came to, quote, check on her. Although she was kind of weak, she greeted him. And they talked and he, you know, grabbed her, started kissing her on the cheek and on the mouth and, you know, tried to take her clothes off. He assaulted her. She reported to um, her parents and to the school eventually. And the school was of little help. The school told her she could be transferred to like a new class or even a new school. But they refused to remove him from his post. She then turned to authorities and wanted to tell the police the school offered her 350,000 yuan or like $53,000 if she would not pursue legal action against him. She and her father, they rejected that deal and they did go to the police. The assailant or the accused, really the suspect, was detained for something like 10 days, but really not much happened to him. He was released and they ruled that there was you know, not enough evidence or that, that there was no sustainable harm to her. But apparently whatever happened, there was harm to her. She suffered from depression. She tried to kill herself unsuccessfully and on and on. And so she and her family, but obviously she dealt with um, emotional distress uh, led up to her eventual suicide. Hmm. Uh, Tanner, give us a big picture take on suicide in China. Uh, how prevalent is it? What demographics are most affected? And is the rate going up, going down? And, and why? Suicide in China is interesting. You know, a generation ago or in the 90s, it had a very high rate, one of the highest in the world for a big country. Yet, as China really kicked into gear into its economic development, and especially as you started to see rural migrants going into cities, you started to see a pretty widespread a decline or improvement in China's suicide rate. The Economist has a great piece on this for a couple of years ago, which I recommend people look up. It's called Back from the Edge. But what studies reveal about this time was that a really high driver of China's suicide rate was rural women. They were killing themselves in the 80s and 90s at pretty high rates. And when the society started to allow mobility so people could go into cities and they could change their lives, and the rate dramatically started to drop. And China's suicide rate is now at comparable levels to other countries. The decline for rural women was obviously not the only factor. I don't want to imply that there were there's a rising middle class at this time. Um, you know, people being pulled out of poverty, um, little things like making toxic fertilizer less accessible or less toxic, which was a really common means of suicide for especially rural people was to eat pesticide. So it's a dramatic improvement in the country. Um, however, I think experts expect the trend will probably at best uh, level out. You still see pretty high rates in China's elderly population. And as you know, China's population is aging itself. So you're going to see more people that fit into the higher suicide demographic as the older population gets bigger. But generally, I think there's been big progress. I think the story from this suicide was when people claim that something bad has happened to them, especially women who have it a lot harder, there needs to be a lot more listening and attention. 
Well, thanks, Tanner. That's fascinating, um, if depressing. I'm, I'm sure this case is going to generate a lot of soul-searching and commentary as it's being widely discussed all over China's social media platforms. So thanks. And on that note, that is this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Cynical Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Lee Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Check out the latest podcast in the Seneca Network, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China podcast, as well as our flagship current affairs show. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. Take care.